Welcome to our first service. Straight into the word. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we pray this prayer every Sunday, Lord. We thank you as you're in your house with your people. As we come and we worship and we come around your table and we've remembered. Father, we come to your word. Father, it's described, Lord, you describe it as a bread of life and it really is, Father, as we come around it in a sense and feast on it, Lord. For it, it gives us something that sustains us, uh, that, that helps us, that, 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 that encourages us and challenges us. And Father, we ask that you would do that once again uh, this morning through your spirit, by your word, Father God. Would you speak to us uh, once again today? to take this short time just to see what you have to say to us through your word in Jesus name amen uh, we come to the last few verses in Matthew chapter 15 uh, the last two weeks uh, we've looked at the first part of that and for those people here if you're visiting us today we're working our way through uh, the gospel of Matthew uh, we are in chapter 15 uh, the last two weeks we talked about the challenge from the Pharisees uh, that Jesus had confronted the Pharisees and legalism, some of the traditions uh, that they had kept. Now we have to remember from chapter 14, Jesus has been trying to get away in a sense from the people. He wants to get away in a sense really to rest, to, to be refreshed, to spend time uh, with his father. Uh, and so in the passage that we're going to read today we find Jesus is some 50 miles away in um, a foreign territory uh, and so he's got away because he just simply wants to get away just spend some time you know with God we've got to remember that the really the previous stories we looked at began with him hearing that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded and so he's dealing with all that anguish and then suddenly with the feeding of the 5,000 then with the attacks uh, from the Pharisees and we see the big gun Pharisees coming down uh, from Jerusalem and the challenge there and then the explanation to the crowds and that uh, and, and, and so he's gone away from them but we see here that, that Jesus has an encounter uh, with a woman uh, who is an ancestor of Israel's ancient enemies the Canaanites and she, she comes to Jesus with a request. Uh, and all of the stories in the Gospels where, where Jesus just deals with individuals, doesn't he? It's just wonderful. It's encouraging uh, to us as people. And said this quite a lot for me that, you know, that's, I believe he's interested in every aspect of our lives. There's an individuality uh, that Jesus is interested in. And we see it here in this story. And this will relate to probably all of us here because we understand uh, what it's like sometimes to watch somebody that we love suffer to watch somebody that we 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 are you know family or somebody we're extremely close to watching them suffer and there isn't anything we can do about it uh, and, and that's you feel powerless you feel as though you know and obviously this woman has heard about who Jesus is and what Jesus does and this mother has watched her daughter suffer terribly uh, because she's demon possessed and, and we're not we're not going to get into that aspect of this today we, it's really the 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 encounter that, that Jesus has with his mother it would be true to say and if you're a mother here you, you'll know that there's nobody more determined than a mother with a sick child who cannot find answers to heal and cure their child 
there's a certain power in that desperation, isn't there, to, to sort of to try and get an answer to the circumstance, to the situation that somebody uh, is facing that you love and stuff. And so here we see the story in Matthew chapter 15 that it says that Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. It would be easy to think that Jesus automatically healed everyone. Everybody he met as he travelled, it would be easy to think he just had to walk past them and almost like on tap uh, healed them or met their every need. And that impression can be left sometimes. Uh, but it's not the case. It's not the case that Jesus was some sort of magician, that in a sense that everybody was healed, that everybody had their needs met, and so that Jesus had a mission and a purpose. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which we are in, is described as the most Jewish of the Gospels. It's written particularly to the Jews. And Matthew writes this with this in mind, because this story describes perfectly the mission of Jesus but the limitation of that ministry in that Jesus had been given this mission by God the Father. In God's plan, the gospel must go first to the covenant people, to the Jews. That the gathering of Israel must proceed and prepare for the gathering of the Gentiles, which is the non-Jews. So Israel had to hear this message first if the promise-bearing people were in danger of forgetting the promise they must be reminded because with Jesus coming, the promises are now being fulfilled. When Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, he sends them out with these following instructions. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. There is not some sort of racial exclusivity going on here with Jesus and stuff. He's just simply following the mission and the plan that God has given him. That simply the, the, to the Jews first and then to the rest of the world. Now the cross opens up access to absolutely everybody. For as Jesus was concerned, it was a matter of timing here. He was coming to preach the message first to the Jews, to those who were considered God's people. And so throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that he acts with a crystal clear sense of purpose. That eventually, that all nations of the earth would simply be blessed through Israel in the person of Jesus as the Son of God gave his life as a sacrifice, not just for the sins of the Jews, but for the sins of humanity. But at the moment, there is a focus with Jesus. 
Now Matthew inserts his story here and we see that he's had the challenge to the Pharisees and he's spoken to the crowds and then suddenly we find him 50 miles away and he's here almost interjected into the story. And Matthew, as he writes it, is always a reminder that simply this, that to the Jews first, Jesus was speaking his message. Uh, but then to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, that is, he, he, he was coming, going to the cross for them. Uh, and so we see now that Jesus has come to do this. John, in John 1, 11, verse 12, John chapter 1, verse 11, he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So John had illustrated this in his uh, gospel right from the opening, that to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So we see here that actually part of the journey <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus is on is this, that there is a complete rejection. We've seen that in the last two weeks and the other stories, that the Jewish religious establishment are simply rejecting Jesus. And so, in a sense, there's this opening up of his mission to the rest of the world as he goes to the cross. And we see that here in this story. I mean, Jesus, as it comes, he says, uh, uh, first he ignores a woman. He, he, nothing to say to her. The disciples badger him to simply say, look, you know, this woman's pestering us. Will you not just answer a prayer by giving her what she desires? Yeah, this woman teaches us something incredibly, uh, it, it teaches us something incredibly wonderful today as people who come and approach Jesus because the, the way she approaches him, and there are three ways that she approaches him, it helps us to understand. The first thing that she does is she, she approaches him uh, and we see that this woman came to Jesus broken. She had a desperate need. You, we, we've said that there's nothing more desperate than a, a parent, a mother who sees their child severe and can do nothing about it. They're simply just, she's powerless and she's helpless. So she goes to the one person she believes that can help her. She comes broken and Jesus doesn't respond straight away to her. He just simply ignores her. I know whether that's just because, you know, he, for whatever reason, we've tried to explain that maybe the clear cut mission, but he just ignores her. And, but then we see that the second thing that she does is that she comes to Jesus praying because she, she prays his prayer. And we'll, we'll look at this in detail a little bit more in a second. As she comes up, the daughter could do nothing for herself. It was a mother's responsibility to, in a sense, to ask Jesus to answer her prayer. He was the only one that could do I would imagine, uh, because of her being suffering terribly uh, with this demon possession, that usually what people did was they tried all sorts of, of doctors and other help, but nothing could be done. Uh, and when you were afflicted with this spiritual condition uh, of being demon possessed, you know, one of the things, that, one of the results of it, that you would cause yourself severe damage. Uh, and, and so this mother is watching this. She, she's watching this and she's suddenly powerless and helpless 
and in despair to do anything because this is her daughter. She's watching, suffering terribly, but she wants to do something about it. And so goes to the only person that comes up. When she hears that Jesus is in town, in a sense, when she hears that he's traveled all this way because this is the only time that Jesus is actually in this region. It's recorded in all of the Gospels. It's the only time that it's recorded that Jesus is here. So this woman, uh, like the other women or other men uh, that have these encounters with Jesus, she simply makes it her goal and her mission to get to Jesus because he's the one that's going to answer her prayer. But we see the third thing as well. That she comes to Jesus acknowledging. Now, this is, this is important, this is, because in his previous encounters in chapter 15, the Pharisees don't believe for a second he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the chosen one, he's the sent one. We see here in this story that simply her recognition by the title that she gives him, Son of David, it says, have mercy on me, it says there. In, in a, it, and before that, it actually says, Lord, it says, O oh Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. There is the acknowledgement there that actually that, that he is the Lord. He, he is the one that has been sent, the Messiah, the chosen one. What, what the Jewish religious leaders and Pharisees had failed to do, she does. This simple woman with this important need, this desperate need, recognizes who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do and you see Jesus did not merely immediately give her an encouraging reply it actually defined the focus of his mission because his disciples were irritated because this woman was persistent we all know persistent women don't we you know some of you are like yeah we all know persistent. we all know persistent women when they ask some of you fellas are scared to acknowledge that like we all know why because she, you know she just didn't give up Ah, uh, well, maybe, maybe it's not for me, and walked away. You know, maybe it's not God's will, and, and walked away. And for whatever reason, she didn't do any of that. She just carried on being persistent, to the point that the disciples, as I said, turned around, that, that actually said, you know, would, would you not just do something here? You know, you, you know get, get her out of her head, you know what I mean? I mean, nobody wants to be followed around by a nagging woman, do they? No, of course not. No, they don't. Nobody wants to be followed around. This is what's happening here. This woman's persistent. She's committed. She is dedicated to simply getting the answer for her daughter. And she wants to get it from Jesus. Jesus simply says, defines the role of his mission to, to the disciples. And, and you know, the, the simply this, he, he reminds them of his mission. The reason for his sending, it would have been so easy for Jesus, and I thought about this, he just sort of, when he started, he couldn't just heal everybody. He couldn't just, I mean, it wouldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't, I mean, somebody once explained it this way, that when, when Lazarus was buried in the tomb, you know, that when he, when he had to name Lazarus come forth, because had he not said the name, everybody who was in that tomb would have come forth who had died. Because Jesus had the power to raise everybody from the dead. He had the power to heal everybody. And, and so actually that part of it must have been more difficult 
and harder because he was limited by the mission and the purpose that God had given him. And even in this story here, we actually look at it and say to ourselves that actually it's not everybody that's clamoring for the attention is why I'm here. It's what I've been sent to do. And, and for Jesus, that must have been a real challenge to limit that because his compassion, the most compassionate man that's ever lived. I mean, I'm sure as the, the mother approached, my daughter is suffering terribly with demon possession. Jesus has the power to, to set her free, to release her from that. And he doesn't. And it's almost, it's, it's, not, my, it's not my time. It's not right to do this at the moment. It's not my mission. And we're like, how could Jesus do that and stuff? But his focus is more this. And, 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 and to, to come to this, it's not the human need Jesus is most responsive to. It's the will of the Father, which is to meet the bigger need, deliver us from sin and death. And, and we look at it and say, well, there were times that Jesus didn't do something. And because, not because he couldn't do something, but because it just wasn't the right thing to do. It just wasn't, he was so tied to the will of his father that he would do nothing outside of that. Even when presented and confronted with tremendous need, he still had to submit to the will of his father. I, I find that incredible with him when he's on uh, this mission. You know, for us, it, 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 you know, for us it's easier to send people away. If somebody comes with a need, Sometimes it's easier to think, oh, because meeting people's needs is hard work. You know, you're like, I've got to do this and I've got to find this and this is going to take time. The opposite is true of Jesus. He could meet everybody's need, but then had to decide, well, whose need he couldn't meet that wasn't tied to the will of his father, God. And, and that's just an interesting aspect of, of these stories that Jesus could do all things. He could heal all. He could meet all needs. And stuff, and and so we see here that the disciples seem to think that 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 Jesus can pursue his mission without ever upsetting the religious people. That actually, while they're travelling with him, he could respond to every cry that that somebody made to him. That everybody was clamouring for his attention. Well, why doesn't Jesus just meet the need? I'm sure the disciples are thinking this. He's met the other needs. Why is he not meeting this woman's need? And they even use a phrase, send her away. And the only time that's ever used in Scripture, uh, in New Testament, is in Luke 2, verse 29, when Jesus is presented uh, as, as a baby in the temple, and Simeon, who's been waiting his whole life for the birth of the Messiah, simply says, I can now go away satisfied. And that's the phrase that's used here, that the disciples are like, Jesus, just heal her. Send her away satisfied. And Jesus holds back, holds back, uh, and stuff that, that simply this. But the woman does something when, when she does, even though Jesus comes and, you know, sometimes people read the story and think to themselves, well, you know, Jesus uses, you know, is he calling her a little dog? Is he, is he, is he being rude to her? And so, no, he's using an example of something. But she does something tremendous here uh, because she just comes and does this in verse 25. In her great need, she says, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. A tremendous prayer. Sometimes the shortest prayers are the most effective, aren't they? You know, sometimes the longer the prayers, it doesn't mean that God is listening more, he's going to answer more. 
Sometimes the shortest prayers are the, the most effective one. That some of the most effective prayers are the shortest prayers. In our situations, like the woman suffering terribly here, through the tears, through the anguish, she just cries out three words. Not help me. That, that's not the, it's Lord help me. It's who she's asking for help. And you know, we've all been like that in life sometimes when we've just, uh, we're facing a dead end. We're facing just unanswerable prayers. We're facing incredible difficulties. And maybe the only prayer that we can pray, like this mother, is Lord, help me. Lord, just help me. That's it, isn't it? No, no great prayer. You, you almost stop to think, I mean, you know, through prayer meeting on Tuesday night, and somebody just says, Lord, help me. Amen. We would be like, it's a bit strange prayer to pray. That is the most effective prayer to pray, isn't it? Because in people's situations, then their, their desperation is tied to this. God, if you don't do something, nobody else can. And, and this woman comes and she worships, and, and true prayer is often measured by weight, not by length. Jesus has ignored her. He's dismissed the disciples' request. He then borders on insulting her almost as a Gentile and a Canaanite. But then she cries out. The disciples take up her cause and she doesn't quit. But the woman responded with great faith. She actually admitted her lower state. She actually admitted that, that she shouldn't debate the issue of what Jesus calls her when he says, you know, even the little dog take the crumbs from the table. Uh, she didn't demand to be seen as a child who was sitting at the table eating uh, the food. But actually, even though it was one of those of the crumbs who was falling. But then she gives this great answer. And as we all know here, women always have the right answers, don't they? Yes, amen. And I've got to hear an amen for that, don't I? The women always have the right answers. And she quickly answers the Lord that even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And suddenly this wakes something up within Jesus, in a sense, not that he didn't want to meet her need, in a sense. He gave that reason. It's not part of my mission, my purpose at the moment. But there's something that suddenly stirs his compassion because this woman understands. It's not that she understands, but she understands more than the Pharisees and the religious teachers had understood earlier in the chapter that, that he had come and, and they as the children sitting at the table, those who were there, that's who they represent. They were feasting on the food that was on the table, but they didn't want it. She's talking about just being one of the little dogs under the table as the crumbs fall, that she could have some of it. She just didn't, she knew she wasn't one of the ones that Jesus had come for at the moment. But she knew she could receive something from him. And you know what Jesus does? He sees great faith in her response. She acknowledges that he's the Lord, he's the master. And she even acknowledges actually his mission is right, his purpose is right. Come to the, the Jews first and then to us next. But he says, those crumbs have dropped from the table. Surely we can have some of those. And her response, in a sense, is especially meaningful, isn't it? But she's just looking for Jesus to do something. She's not asking for the portion that belongs to somebody else. 
She's just simply asking for the crumbs that have fallen from the table. And there are two faith-filled words that appear. And sometimes the shortest phrases in the Bible are sometimes the most helpful. She just simply says these two words. She says, yeah, even. She accepted Jesus' description. She accepted his purpose and his mission. But those two words says, yeah, even. The crumbs that fall. I just want you to do something. Please do something for my daughter. What is Jesus' response here? The simple is, he says this, and I thought this is tremendous. He simply says, a woman, great is your faith. What a tremendous phrase to be used. And, you know, it's the only time Jesus ever uses to an individual, to a woman as well. Now, I know he says it to the Roman centurion, but in that story, but when he says it in that story, he said it to the crowd. I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. But he says it to the crowd there. This is the only time he says to an individual, to a woman, when he says, a woman, great is your faith. Because she has, he has recognized something in her that nobody else has been able to do so far. That she simply understands why he has come, the mission he has, but also that he has the power to answer her prayer. And that's what he does. Here he comes. And you see, this Gentile woman heard it from Jesus directly. But faith was great. Even compared to other virtues, she was humble, she was patient, she was persevering, she was caring for a child. Yet Jesus didn't compliment any of these good things. He just complimented her faith. He just says, a woman, great is your faith. He recognized something in her they didn't see in anybody else. In her desperation, in her need, he recognized that. And it's often found in unexpected people, isn't it? We see here a gentile woman in unexpected places, Tyre and Sidon, where no other story was done. We hear rid of nothing else that Jesus did during his time in this place, except this divine appointment, in a sense, to meet the need of this woman and her afflicted daughter. And Jesus, I think this is important to understand why her faith was great. She worshipped Jesus before he'd answered her prayer. She had worshipped Jesus before he had answered her prayer. When he answers our prayer, it's easy to worship, isn't it? He says when we are waiting, when we are suffering, when we are watching our loved ones in anguish and pain, that's much harder to worship, isn't it? But this woman does this. Her faith was great because she worshipped Jesus even before he'd answered a prayer. So come to finish and I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on the platform. I can picture this mother. She says in one of the verses, kneeling before Jesus with tears in her eyes, the desperation in her voice, with a picture in her mind of her daughter suffering. And I would imagine she would sing something along the lines of the last song that we're going to finish with. When the words of the chorus simply say, I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. 
And I imagine the scene that day as she kneels before Jesus. Oh Lord, Son of David, help me. That's just a prayer, isn't it? She kneels down. She has nothing else. She has tried everything else. And all she has is this, I worship you. Says, I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place who has no right to receive anything from you. But I'm going to worship anyway. And I just bring that to you today, Jesus. Are you what Jesus does at the end of the story? He says this. He healed the daughter at that very hour. He healed the daughter at that very moment. Jesus answered her prayer. That's the great thing about this story, isn't it? The woman came with this need. She had no right to be there. Unexpected woman in an unexpected place approaching Jesus. And Jesus responds with woman, great is your faith. And he could have stopped there and he didn't. The end of the story tells us, at that very hour, the daughter was healed. We're many needs in church today as we come and finish a proper response as we come and we take what God is teaching us through this story is to come with the stuff that we have and present it to Jesus and we think to ourselves oh I don't know if he's listening I don't know if it's God's will I don't know if he's even interested in my need in my life at the moment and I tell you that he is this morning and you might feel like you're out of place you might feel as though you don't fit in you might feel as though well listen you're unexpected Listen, you're exactly the right person in exactly the right place this morning to present your need to him. But also you present it in worship as well. I have nothing else to give but my worship. There is nothing more than I can do than present my worship to you, God. Because God, I will worship before you answer my prayer. I won't worship because you answer my prayer. I will worship you because before you answer 